Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, we're going to continue our uh, little mini-series uh, called Becoming. And uh, it's a three-week series in which we're, uh, last week, Pastor Larissa covered um, Becoming Followers. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about Becoming Loving. And then next week, we'll wrap up this little mini-series before we head into Advent. Can you believe we're heading into Advent already? Um, the, the next week's message will be on Becoming Servants. But let's start um, our time together by reading uh, from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The word here for being is an absolutely intriguing word uh, to dive into. It's the word, the original word in, in, in the Hebrew is, is the word nephesh. Nephesh. God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and Adam became a living nephesh. So many other times in Scripture, the way that you'll see this word translated for us is the word soul. You, so you journey through Scripture, and what, what you discover is that here is that God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and Adam becomes, doesn't have a soul, but the biblical understanding is that he is a nephesh. Adam is a nephesh because of the breath of God. And when you look at the basic meaning of, of this word, most often it's translated the word throat. And I find this correlation so life-giving to, to reflect on, because the understanding is that, that what flows in and out of us really matters. That, that what makes us a living being is the breath of God flowing through our throats. The psalmist writes at one point in Scripture that as the deer pants for water, so my nephesh thirsts for the Lord. What makes us who we are, the entirety of our being, is found in God's breath. Our being is dependent on this intimate connection to God's breath. What animates us, what sustains us, what gives us life is the breath of God. And it is a picture of absolute care, power, and intimacy. What sets us apart from the rest of the universe is that God got close to humanity, was face to face with Adam and breathed the breath of life into him, making him a living nephesh. And what I hope that you see in this is that humanity is incomprehensibly precious to God. A million poet laureates could not together find the right words 
to describe the depth of God's love for you. You are precious to God. I wonder in this moment, as God breathes the breath of life into Adam, making him a living nephish, that God just paused in that moment. Like a parent watching the chest of their newborn child just rise and fall. The God stopped and just stared at the breath that was rising and falling in Adam's chest. Imagine with me for this moment. Adam's first point of consciousness, his first point of awareness, his coming into being in his very first breath was in the context of being face to face with God. What Adam knew in this moment was God. God is his first point of awareness. I think for us, it becomes a picture that all of life then flows out of the context of the shining countenance of God upon us. God's joy and delight shining upon us. This is meant to be the anchoring point of our lives. This is what the rest of living is meant to flow out of. Our our response is to love God in return. All of our living is meant to flow out of what he pours into us. We can go a little bit further and and find that in Genesis chapter 1, we're told that we were made in the image of God. In the image of God, he created man. God crafts us as his image bearers, and then he gives us a command. It's found here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says that, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The instruction to humanity is to go out into the world, ruling, reigning, living, tending to creation as his images. Have dominion over the earth. Govern the earth. But as you do so, it's meant to be this reflection and this embodying of God's image. Our day-to-day acts, our working, our relating with one another, our resting, our playing, our governing is all meant to be done as image bearers of God. Rule like God, the one that rules in the power of love. The understanding and the imagery given to us in Genesis chapter 3 is that God shows up in the garden intending to walk with humanity. 
be step in step with humanity. The picture demonstrated for us is that one of partnership and friendship. There was meant to be, all of living and all of governing was meant to be in this place where we are knowing and experiencing the love of God and then breathing that love out into the rest of creation. How they governed, how they tended to creation was meant to flow out of their knowing God. It is his breath that they're carrying into every space of creation. It has always been the case that the message of our lips should match the method of our living. I mean that as, as followers of Christ, we don't just speak of God's love, but we seek to, ex to experience and embody his love. And when Jesus was in the temple and people came to him questioning him and brought a coin before him and, and asked about paying taxes, and Jesus asked someone about the coin that they were holding, and he said, whose image is on that coin? And the response is, is it Caesar's? And the response from Jesus was, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. And in that statement, Jesus again reminds us, you are the coinage of God. You're the image of God. All that you are is meant to be given to him. And you'll see later on in Scripture, God is speaking to a people who he is sending into a land that he is giving them. Similar to the call on Adam and Eve, God is calling a new people to rule and inhabit a promised land. And this is what he tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you were about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life, and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your might. The words given to the Israelites, similar to the words given to Adam and Eve, you're going into a land, govern, to rule, to inhabit. And you're occupying this land has to be connected to this command, love the Lord. Love him. Love him. 
But God also recognized something about us. We cannot do this alone. And so he tells us this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed, closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There's, there's a ton that we could reflect on it here in this little section of Scripture, but there are two observations that I want us to sit on just for a few moments this morning. The first one is that Adam is awed by Eve. A-W-E-D. Adam is awed by Eve. The second is they felt no shame. Let's talk about that first one just for a few moments. Adam is awed by Eve. It's not a small thing to say that Adam noticed Eve, that he and Eve shared the same image. He looked at Eve, and what he recognized is we are the same. And I think we can all acknowledge that it's a whole lot easier to love others when we see that they have the same image as us. That we're the same. That we're marked with the same divine image. See, in the story of the Good Samaritan, what ends up happening is, is that a man is beaten and he's bruised and he's left on the side of the road and, and the religious leaders the time walk by, and as they do so, those that with all, had, we had all the expectation would help this man that's beat up and bruised on the side of the road would come and help him, were told that they were on the other side of the road and passed the man by. And the other man that shows up is the Samaritan, and culturally speaking, he was the enemy of the man that was left beaten and bruised on the side of the road. And the unique description that Jesus gives as he tells this story is that the man came over to the same side of the road as him. He crossed the boundary. And he saw, and he, and he was moved with compassion, and he saw that man. We're the same is essentially the comment from Adam when he looks at Eve. The understanding given to us in Scripture here is that they were co-heirs. They were partners. They were helpers. Together, they exercised dominion over creation. And maybe for us it's an obvious statement, but it's a whole lot easier to work with someone when you value them. When you see them with dignity and worth. The other comment 
that we find here in this passage is that they felt no shame. And that is such a description of vulnerability, honesty, and transparency. There was no part of them that was hidden from God, and there was no part of them that was hidden from one another. I just think about our boys when they were growing up and they were being potty trained. They would go hide under a table. They would run, they'd sneak away, tuck themselves in the corner as they were doing what they knew they were meant to be growing out of. But there was a moment where humanity didn't live feeling unsure about how the other person felt about them or thought about them. There was a moment when humanity didn't live unsure if they were valued or accepted by the people around them. There was a point when humanity didn't live out of fears or insecurities where our actions and motives weren't infected by shame. We weren't suspicious of others. We didn't wonder what people were saying behind our backs. We didn't betray, we didn't lie, we didn't condemn, we didn't neglect. I remember going to Disneyland with friends and as we were walking around, there was a big crowd in front of the, the big castle there. And as we were walking around, again, there were crowds. One of the cast members dressed as Peter Pan ran through the bushes to get to where he wanted to go. And in full character, turns back to us with hands on his hips and says, I do what I want. <laughs> and took off running. But I do what I want wasn't the motto, the motto of human living at one point. We didn't just do what was good for us, but life flowed out of this awareness of our unique connection to God and our connection to one another. There were no barriers between us. Living in complete freedom. And we treated one another in perfect harmony with how we were created. There wasn't a disconnect between the breath of God in us and how we treated and valued one another. Can you imagine? Can you imagine these kinds of relationships existing today where how we were together was perfectly aligned with our loving connection to God? Where loving God and loving others was all harmoniously happening together? We were designed for life together. And that was meant to happen in lives that were in constant connection with God. That a life found in God and a life found with others were designed to just be perfectly lived out. I want to read some Dietrich Bonhoeffer for us this morning. He talks about this. 
this connection between God and then connection with community. He observes, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape from yourself, for God has singled you out. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you, and you can have no part in the community of those who are called. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Into this community you were called. The call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called, you bear your cross. You struggle. You pray. You are not alone even in death. And then on the last day, you will be only one member of the great congregation of Jesus Christ. We recognize then that only as we are within the fellowship can we be alone, and only that he, he that is alone can live in the fellowship. Only in the fellowship do we learn to be rightly alone, and only in aloneness, aloneness do we learn to live rightly in the fellowship. I cannot speak a good word to you if I'm not first hearing from the Lord. If I do not know how to be alone with God, then what I carry into community is only myself. What I bring to the potluck called koinonia is stale and cold and moldy. The ingredients that I bring to the table are me, only me, myself. But if I spend time with God, then what I pour out to you will be from the spring of life. If I cannot be alone with God, then what I bring to the table is suspect. But how can I expect to be alone with God if I neglect the habit of being with those he calls his own? I think about it this way, when I step into a parent-teacher conference, I've, we have a few of those coming up this week, to sit down over Zoom or in the classroom with the teacher and hear the teacher say this, I love having your child in my class. And when I, when, when I hear that, I just immediately think, oh, teacher, you're, you're the best person in the world. And the reason that my heart is so filled in that moment is forget how my child is doing in class. What makes my heart leap is that this teacher cares and sees my child, that they're a source of joy for them. How... How can we expect to step into the presence of God if we neglect gathering with those that are so near and dear to his heart?
our union with God is inseparable from how we love, regard, and prefer others. This is why when Jesus is asked, what is the most important command? He said, two things are the singularly most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot have one without the other. Just like you cannot breathe without inhaling and exhaling. To love God without loving others is, try, is like trying to have the root beer float without the ice cream. It doesn't work. It doesn't exist. It's not comprehensible. They cannot be separated from each other. These two things are the most important thing. But Adam and Eve were one. They lived together with no shame, yet something tragic happened in this moment. Listen to this for about the next minute. Proverbs 9, chapter, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Our ability to live hinges on our connection to God. Adam and Eve decided that it would be good to try to have dominion over the earth apart from that connection. Humanity decided to live from a self-centered place. And now, no longer clothed in freedom and, protect and perfection, they now attempted to clothe themselves. And it went about as good as the times that we first tried to dress ourselves. Humanity had a choice. 
and they decided that it would be better to wear handcuffs than the signet ring of their father. In love, God told us that if we eat that fruit, that on that day we would die. And he was right. Because on that day, we were disconnected from our loving, intimate union with our Father. We lost our union with the one who breathed life into our lungs. And the fallout is that now all of our living is filled with strife, envy, grasping, betrayal, blaming, and subversion. Now we're a people that have to navigate the fact that we're defensive. We're low in self-esteem, we're isolated, we're quick to blame, we're reactive, we're fearful, we're self-absorbed, we're addicted, and we're dishonest. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The good news, the literal good news, is that God is creating a new humanity. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 tells us this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. Come on. And now, like Bob Marley, we're all singing a redemption song. God is once again breathing the breath of life into a people and forming them in the way of love. I got a confession to make. I started listening to Christmas music. <laughs> I, do I have any do I have any people in here in the house with me doing that? I have an excuse. And my excuse is that we're preparing for Advent as a staff. So I've had, to I've had to listen to Christmas music to just get a feel for how we're going to be going forward during the Advent season. But listen to the words from O Holy Night. Truly he has taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. His law is love. His law is love. This is the command that we're given as a new humanity. This is the way that we are meant to live. 
that which he has breathed into us. And the Spirit of God that has now resurrected this dead body is meant to carry that breath into everything that we do. This is the law that we live by. The mark of maturation for the follower of Christ is that we love well. This is the calling that's upon us. This is the singularly most important thing that we are called to. This is the law that has been spoken to us. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is the most important thing. So this description to us from the pages of Scripture is put away your old self with its destructive patterns and habits. Because our life in Christ is the long, slow path of learning to love well. Let me get practical for a little bit, and then we'll exit together. In, uh, in the new year, we're going to be launching uh, an eight-week course together called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Uh, we've been in a beta group with some of the council members and uh, small group leaders within our community over these past eight weeks on the emotionally healthy spirituality um, side of this course. And, and the aim is this, is that in, in, in January, we're going to launch this course and invite everyone to be a part of it so that we might be a people that continue to learn to love well to love the people that we're in relationship with, to love this community that God has called us to. The, the course, um, the way it's going to play out is that we're going we're gonna to sit around tables together, and it'll be the same table that you're at every single week. And so the hope there is that you form a sense of, of a small group as you're gathered week in, week out for eight weeks. And yes, we are taking Super Bowl Sunday off because... Why throw a party when everyone else is going to be partying somewhere else already? But the point is to be able to sit around a table with one another and, and talk about what does it look like to be a people who, sing, who are seeing that, the, that, that what's happening within us is that we're learning to love well. I'll just read a little bit from um, Pete Scazzaro, who him and his wife, Jerry, uh, put together this course called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. This is what they discovered within their own community. That they were seeing people being discipled and, and coming to Christ and being baptized, and he said, yet something was desperately wrong in us and in the ministry we were building. Although people seemed to be growing and in love and desire for God, this wasn't translating into a greater love for people. Many people had zeal for scripture, but remained defensive, judgmental, 
critical, unapproachable, and unsafe. We didn't know how, what to do with our anger or sadness. We were afraid of being honest in our relationships. We avoided conflicts and wanted to be perceived as nice people. We often said yes when we really wanted to say no. We made assumptions about what other people were thinking without checking them out. We overfunctioned doing what others, doing for others what they could and should do for themselves. Says, what I discovered was that love, not ministry activities or spiritual practices, is truly the measure of spiritual maturity. So we began to disciple people on how to love others well, especially when under stress or in the midst of conflict. We wanted the quality of relationships in our church to reflect the fact that we belonged to the new family of Jesus. So our aim in the Emotionally Healthy Relationship course was to equip our people to love like Jesus at home, work, school, with friends, in their neighborhoods, and of course in the church. The course essentially gave people relationship training wills, basic skills, so that they could apply scripture and break deeply entrenched, unhealthy relational patterns from their families of origin, reminding us that equipping people to love like Jesus required the same level of energy as equipping people to love God. So, church, let us pursue becoming loving. Would you stand and pray this with me? Father, we confess that we have lived out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. We have counted ourselves as more significant than others. We have looked out for our own interests rather than the interest of others. We, have con we confess that we have failed to live as if we have the mind of Christ. We have viewed the positions you have given as rights to be used for our own advantage. We have become puffed up and have sought to be served rather than to serve. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Spirit that you would forgive us, heal us, and conform us to the image of your Son. We do not deserve such grace, but you, offer, you freely offer it through your Son who emptied himself, took on the form of a slave, and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Through the power of your Spirit, may Christ be exalted in all the earth to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen.